The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. This is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now, I must say, uh, calling it the Explorers Podcast is not the right thing to do today because we're, we're talking to a, a company, Cyclone Metals, ha- has a market cap of uh, 10.3 million at the moment, but it's already the exploration side of the, uh, the company is well behind it. It has a resource of, uh, and now a chalk resource, of 7.2 billion tonnes of magnetite in the Labrador region of Quebec. Probably not an area well known to Australian investors, but it is home to uh, Champion Iron, the $3 billion uh, company that's producing over there now. And of course, Rio Tinto's Iron Ore of Canada project. Got an interesting one here. Is it a giant in the making? We'll find out from Paul Berend, the Executive Director CEO since uh, May this year. So, g'day Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Now Paul, let's give investors a bit of a feel for the location of the project. Uh, I've touched on the scale and where it fits in this whole green steel push that the world is going through in the decarbonisation push. So, in a nutshell, uh, Block 103, which is the flagship project that uh, Cyclone has, is a large magnetite project. It's actually located in the Labrador Trough of Canada. So uh, it's in Labrador, not in uh, Quebec. What's what's exciting about the location is the Labrador Trough, people have been producing uh, iron ore there for the last 40 years. Um, It has infrastructure, it has heavy haul rail. Uh, The heavy haul rail runs down to a deep sea uh, iron ore export port uh, called the Port of Cetil. And companies like uh, Rio Tinto, with IOC, you touched on it, Champion Iron, Tata, all export on this railway. And so um, what's unique about this project, and I'll, I'll keep it brief and we can dive in a bit more, is the fact that uh, it's got access to an open, well, to an open access railway. So we've got an export solution, uh, which is really critical. It's, it's very large. And from a metallurgical perspective and it's very exciting because it's a very clean resource, which means that we can get a very clean concentrate of uh, 69.5% Fe in grade with virtually no deleterious elements uh, very easily. Um, and uh, this is actually a very good uh, feedstock for pellets, which are critical for, for low carbon steel emissions. So um, I'll talk a bit more about that. Uh, but that's pretty much the highlights of the project. It's large, it's got access to heavy haul rail, it's a very good quality resource, and we're very excited by you know for developing this asset. I understand uh, over time, US $35 million has been spent on the project, and obviously you have that inferred mineral resource of 7.2 billion tonnes there. I was just wondering, and again, uh, Australian investors might not be aware of... Uh, the economics and scale of uh, magnetite projects. We do produce pellets down in Tasmania and uh, Fortescue has uh, developed its Iron Bridge project. But increasingly we're hearing about uh, the steel uh, 
I think the steel industry accounts for almost 10% of the world's uh, carbon emissions. Why is magnetite considered to be part of the solution? Magnetite ores um, have a lower carbon footprint if you put them in a blast furnace to make steel than hematite ores. And uh, if you're an existing steel mill and you don't want to invest billions of dollars, one of the only solutions that you have to reduce your carbon footprint is to have a very clean feed into your blast furnace and magnetite ores or magnetite concentrates, I should say, uh, are much, much cleaner than uh, hematite concentrates. You need less energy to make steel uh, when you have a magnetite feed than when you have a hematite feed. And let me just provide a bit of context to that. So recently, the European Union has passed a law to tax uh, steel imports based on the carbon footprint of the steel. And uh, there's typically two tons of carbon per ton of steel if you're producing rather blast furnace route, which is about 80% of the steel uh, production on the world. Mm. Um, and so if you do the math, that's roughly uh, 30 to 100 euros per ton taxes because of this carbon footprint. With that in mind, if you can reduce that even by 10 or 15% just by having a cleaner feed, that, that's a huge advantage that you have. And that's what's really driving the need for magnetites um, and you know pushing this uh, development of these magnetite projects like Unbridge, for example, in the Pilbara. Yeah, because uh, magnetites are lower grade, uh, iron content compared to hematite, but uh, around 30%. But uh, through the magnetic separation, of uh, you end up with a critical mass of around 19%. And then that gets concentrated into an end product that's about 69%, which is uh, an order of magnitude above what, uh, say, the Pilbara does, around 60%. So is that where the, that environmental benefits? Yes, it does, because if you think, so two things, right? So when you upgrade a magnetite from, say, 30% to just below 70% in our case, obviously that requires energy um, and uh, that has a cost. So traditionally magnetites have higher production costs than hematite, and most of that is grinding costs, and I'll talk about that in a second. But conversely, you have an ore which is much cleaner and requires less uh, coal to produce steel. So there's, there's sort of a trade-off there. And what's interesting is that that, that economic equation uh, has shifted in favor of the magnetites because there's so much more focus on CO2 emissions. The other thing I want to flag is that um, the big driver of the cost base for a magnetite project is going to be the hardness of the ore, so how much energy you need to grind it. Um, and obviously, uh, um, you know, then you've got all the regular mining costs and so forth. What's really exciting with uh, this particular project is we have a very low bond work index. And the bond work index is a measure of the hardness of the ore. We have a bond work index of 15, which is very low, so it's a very soft ore. Typically, Pilbara magnetites um, uh, have a bond work index of maybe 25 to 30. That's a bit uh, technical, but much higher, which means that we need a lot less energy to grind. So these Canadian ores, uh, particularly in the Labrador trough, have two other critical advantages. We talked about the carbon footprint, but they've got... They're soft, they're easy to grind, less energy, but we've also got access to hydropower, which means uh, a much lower carbon footprint, and hydropower is actually very cheap, so that gives us a cost advantage. 
if you if you step back and say, well, why is this region of Canada exciting? Well, I would say it's exciting because magnetites have a lower carbon footprint for steelmaking, and this is probably the best location in the world to produce magnetites at a low cost and magnetite concentrates. Run through some of those uh, reasons why it's a great location. Now, obviously, you can have all the resource in the world, but if you don't have the in- infrastructure, you don't have a, a bulk mining project. So what's the infrastructure like for this project? So we, we, we're 20 kilometers away. So we're based in a, well, so the, the resource is uh, 50 kilometers away from a town called Shefferville, which is about uh, 500 kilometers uh, to the northeast of where uh, Champion Iron is. And we're 20 kilometers away from a heavy haul rail, which runs into Shefferville. Uh, so we are literally on top of a heavy haul rail, which is really a phenomenal location. Um, and Shepherdville has, uh, it's a small town, uh, but it has an airport, it has infrastructure. And uh, back in the mid 80s, uh, it was a, it was an iron ore town. So they did, they did actually produce from there. It's, it's a really good location. It's quite far up north. Um, so it gets very cold. There's plenty of, of mining operations in those types of latitudes. Yeah, and, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's a really great flying fly-up location. There's all the infrastructures in place. Would that be the export point for you, or would it be railed down to uh, Septil? So, yeah, we would rail it down to Septil and export through Septil, which is what IOC does. So it's the same railway runs down from Shefferville all the way down south to Septil. It's pretty much a straight line. And it's IOC, which uh, produces, I think, about 50 million tons per annum of pellets, is literally on the way. So they use the same rail. So unlike the Pilbara, where the iron ore companies um, uh, have their own rail lines and uh, there's no open access or it's very difficult to achieve, uh, this is open access. Correct. It's open access and uh, uh, it's owned by uh, the Canadian state for the uh, infrastructure. Uh, and the rail is operated actually by... A a company which is a subsidiary of Rio Tinto, which uh, also tr- sort of transports all the ores of Champion Iron and Tata, which also produces on the same railway. You've touched on the uh, the, the soft nature of the, the ore and uh, how that would impact on uh, grinding costs. What about the overall metallurgy, though, metallurgy, depending on where you come from? <laughs> it's really interesting ore. So we've, uh, we've got 23,000 metres of drill cores that have been analyzed um, and which support obviously the the mineral resource. Um, We've done some uh, metallurgical test work. Uh, Quite a lot of test work was done back in the uh, 2013. And what it shows is that uh, we can very easily get a very high quality concentrate. It's very consistent across the board. So we've done test work pretty much in uh, I think over over 150 locations or, or, or drilling locations, and the resource has very very low deleterious elements. So there's literally even in the ground there's very low levels of phosphorus, uh, MgO. Uh, the silica levels are, con- uh, are controlled. There's very low alumina. So uh, the metallurgy is absolutely excellent. The the metallurgical work which was done has been done to date. Uh, was based just on Davis tubes, which is which is very very simple and which just involves grinding the ore and putting it in a tube and waving it, uh, two magnets around and just recovering the uh, the magnetite portion um, and just doing that very simplistic uh, uh, metallurgical test work 
uh, we get a very high quality, great concentrate. And as I said, very consistent. There's there's very little variability across the resource um, in terms of uh, deleterious elements, which is which is great. And um, you know we've we've and we've actually only drilled twenty five percent of the. Uh, the sort of mineralized magnetite area, if you look at the uh, magnetic survey. So that's, there's, there's, there's resource upside. I don't think that resource upside is, you know, very relevant because of the, <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't inf- emphasize that too much. Well, even a tier one project you'd be producing in what, in a hundred years time? <laughs> in terms of size, and there are other large projects around, but we've got by far the best infrastructure uh, solution. And the other thing I'm going to flag, it's very low phosphorus, right? And phosphorus is a massive issue for Chinese steel mills because Australian DSOs and the Chinese mostly import direct shipping ores from Australia because it's cheaper than importing from uh, Brazil. They, they do that as well. Uh, Australian ores tend to have high phosphorus. And uh, that means that uh, if you're a Chinese steel mill, um, you've got a phosphorus problem, which is just getting worse and worse. Having access to a blender concentrate, a magnetite concentrate, which is ultra low phosphorus, is fantastic because it enables you to use more of the cheaper, or theory cheaper, uh, lower quality ores from the Pilbara. The forward thinking, do would you be thinking about producing a... Uh, concentrate 69.5% concentrate alone, or would you go through to the pellets as well? Well, that's a good question, and, and both options are open. The challenge with a pellet plant is that the capex is extremely high. It's uh, it's, it's very capital intensive, uh, uh, but it's exciting if you have a source of, of 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 cheap energy, and it would make sense to do that in Canada. There are different options we're looking at. Um, we've, there has been some engineering studies which were done. Um, they haven't been published uh, on the ASX uh, because they're uh, outdated, but uh, they've been published on the CEDAR website in Canada. Um, so, uh, and, they, and they're based essentially on uh, the option of producing pellets. And of course, all this needs to be updated. Um, but fundamentally, if you wanted to produce 20 million tons of pellets, you'd be looking at so you'd be looking at a capex of about eight um, eight billion dollars uh, US. If you're looking at uh, producing 20 million tons of concentrate, maybe one and a half to three, depending on uh, um, you know what what the constraints are in terms of um, you know. Uh, there's things we just don't know yet, but there's a big difference. But, but we would look at both. Um, what we really want to do is demonstrate to the steel industry and uh, that there is here potentially a tier one resource, very high quality, low carbon footprint. And so um, we will let the steel industry, our clients, guide us as to what is the best way to develop the resource. Does that make sense? Um, because I was, I was actually thinking, um, do, say, Chinese companies prefer to pelletize themselves uh, because of, you know, managing the quality uh, issues going into their DRIs or EA, you know, electric furnaces? So you're right. So the Chinese have quite a lot of pellet plants. Um, they produce, China produces quite a lot of magnetites themselves, right? And so 
or people don't realize that, but China produces themselves about 300 million tons of iron ore per annum, and all of it is magnetite concentrate on 90%. Um, and so they're very much used to pelletizing and blending uh, magnetites and hematites together uh, in terms of how they operate. So they, they've obviously got infrastructure and pellet plants in place. They do have very high um, energy costs, though. Um, so there is a counterpoint that could and there are other companies which can be interested in DRI pellets there's lots of uh, DRI based steel mills in the Middle East uh, they're a primary target for us people like Khalid for example uh, they, they, they import their pellets from Canada from IOC and from Valle in Brazil uh, they've got lots of natural gas natural gas has a much much lower carbon footprint than coal so they make what's called DRI DRI or direct reduction iron, which is essentially making steel from natural gas. They need DRI pellets, and um, they would be obviously a primary target for us. And that would be absolutely fantastic in terms of getting a low carbon footprint and sustainability, but it would make sense for them probably to build their pellet plants uh, close to their uh, steel making facilities. So as I said, it kind of depends who uh, who is the buyer of the ore? Now, I mentioned at the start, uh, Paul, that market cap currently 10.3 million. So I think people uh, would uh, justifiably ask, well, <clears throat> does Cyclone have the capability to pursue what is potentially a tier one project? I noticed you joined in May, so you're obviously part of the company building its capability to pursue the project to, towards that end. So it'd be great if you could give us a bit of a, a background on yourself. I've got a background in steelmaking. So my corporate career peaked probably around 2005, 2006. I was a head of strategy uh, for Arcelor before it became ArcelorMittal. So I know the European steel industry incredibly well. Um, I, I, I ran away to Australia and found a new home. Uh, which I absolutely love, uh, and I feel at home with a country of convicts. So it's awesome. <laughs> oh, careful. <laughs> um, it's politically incorrect, but but I, but I love I love my new my, my new home. Uh, I love Perth. It's like the Silicon Valley for for, for metals and mining. It's a phenomenal place. There's a lot of talent, and um, I came here. Uh, I worked for Rio Tinto. I was their GM business development for R and R. So. Uh, I've got quite a, a good understanding of what that space is like, and I got the entrepreneurial bug when I when I came here. So I started developing uh, a large iron ore project in New Zealand, which is funded by private equity called Trans Tasman Resources, um, and I've been involved in a bunch of other projects as well. So. That, in a nutshell, is my background. The sort of background one would like to see when someone's embar uh, company's embarking on a, a project of this uh, scale. Um, other capabilities across, um, you know, I presume in that part of the world, there'll need to be engagement with uh, First Nation people, permitting, those sort of things. So, so let's, let's maybe just step back and talk about, I mean, there are three things that, that we're very keen to do. One is is establish the business case for the resource. So, you know, get that metallurgical test work there, get a bulk sample of pellets. We've talked about that in front of steel mills so that they can see the potential that this has. Um, and that's very different from most juniors. I'll just say a word about that, um, Barry, just before I move on to the capability, is that most juniors don't fully understand how steel mills and their clients think. And they, it takes them you know, many years and generally after they've completed their BFS before they provide these bulk metallurgical samples. We're going to start with that. We have no exploration risk. The 
uh, you know, the, the, the infrastructure solution is obvious. Um, so what we need to do is demonstrate that we can generate this very high quality product. Um, and so that's what we're going to focus on in terms of this year and getting offtake agreements with steel mills, which will then alleviate, uh, you know, the, 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 the load of the capex. Um, so in terms of capabilities, yes, we need to build capabilities. Yes, we need to earn our mandate to operate by demonstrating that we can do this in a sustainable way, engage with the First Nations uh, who have you know, legitimate claims over those areas and generally with the, with the local stakeholders. In terms of the capability of, of, of Cyclone itself, um, you will, over the next couple of weeks and months, you will see some uh, very highly credentialed pro professionals uh, joining, um, joining Cyclone. So we will uh, build um, a very elite group of people who have experience in developing these types of assets, who understand both the, the geology, the metallurgy, and the steel industry. Um, we'll be building a lot of capability uh, so that's going to happen very rapidly over the next, you, you'll see announcements. We also plan to make Cyclone into a single purpose entity. So um, um, we'll focus the board and leadership team on this one asset. So our gold assets will find homes where they'll be looked after and uh, properly managed. Um, um, and, and so it will be very clear to the market that Cyclone is, a, is all about block one and three. Um, and in terms of uh, Canada, we will obviously be building capability there. Um, you know, I think Champion Iron was a, a great success story. One of the things they did very well was build strong local capability. Um, so we plan to replicate that. And so you'll see a, a team being set up. But initially, you know, for the first, for the next six months, most of what this is going to be about is going to be getting the environmental baseline work done the uh, scoping studies, obviously the metallurgical tech work. So essentially just providing that, that baseline so that we can, we can really map out um, what the development of this resource is going to be. So you'll see much, much stronger capability in Cyclone than any other comparable junior that I can think of because we're going to really focus, we're looking at it from the perspective of our clients, the, the steel maker not from the perspective of the resource. We know the resource is there. There's a lot of money has been spent. It's, been spent. it's awesome, great. Uh, but now we need to demonstrate that we can absolutely bring this thing into production and, um, and have the right team to make that happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so there we go, folks. A very interesting story. I posed the question at the start, is this a giant in the making? Uh, quite possibly from what Paul's been telling us. So it's one we'll be watching with interest is uh, Cyclone. Uh, currently, market cap of $10.3 uh, pushes itself along the pathway to becoming a potential tier one producer of uh, high-grade iron ores uh, that the uh, the world obviously needs as we uh, all push together on the decarbonisation effort. So, Paul, thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all. Be watching with interest. Thank you very much, Barry.